Hello and welcome to episode 21 of It's Lit But Is It Funny, the podcast where we tickle the feet of literature and see if we can coax it into laughing. My name is Jonathan Pinnock and I'm the author of the Mathematical Mystery series of comic thrillers published by Farago Books. Speaking of which, if I got everything right, this podcast should be going out on the exact day when I'm supposed to be handing book five in the series to my editor. So if you see me frothing at the mouth and banging my head against the wall today, now you know why. My guest today is best-selling novelist Kelly Taylor, who started her career with two very successful romantic comedies, the first of which, Heaven Can Wait, won the Chicklet Club Pink Thong Award for Best Debut in 2009. And honestly, if that had happened to me, I would have stopped there and then, there and then, because I could not imagine how to top it. However, she did in fact go on to write another one, Hope for Christmas, which was made into a film. Having basically conquered the world of romantic comedy in 2014, she turned her attention to psychological thrillers and as C.L. Taylor, she has been a regular fixture in the Sunday Times top 10 ever since. Her latest paperback, Her Last Holiday, came out a few weeks ago, and that will be followed by a new hardback, The Guilty Couple, later on this year. She has also somehow found the time to write two uh, young adult novels in Amongst All This, and her books have been translated into over 25 languages. I first came across Kelly almost 15 years ago on the late lamented online writing site Sling Inc, where she was a prolific short story writer and participant in the notorious Eurofiction competition, which you may or may not touch on at some point. Welcome, Kelly. Hello, thank you for having me on. Gosh, the mention of Sling Inc is a blast <laughs> in the past. I thought that would be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, uh, that t- takes us back a bit, doesn't it? Yes, I found those competitions simultaneously motivating and demotivating, given how I did <laughs> in the rankings. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember what your final score was in two- oh, 2007 God. to 2008? <laughs> no, no, I can't, but I, I so wanted to be near the top and I never was. They just didn't really like my stuff, I felt. No, there was, some of the marking was a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> some of my short but, stories were a bit odd. I'll admit that. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, we actually we actually tied in in two thousand seven to eight. We were we were joint eleventh. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, I'm going to put that on my website immediately. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> can, can you can you remember what your um, your nom de plume was? Uh, I have had so many different nom de plumes on the on the internet over the years that I, I don't really want to... Was it, was it She Scribbles? No, it was Spongebob. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even remember using that one. Yeah. Oh, how funny. Yeah, I, I, I know this because I, I, being the sort of nerd I am, I, I, I copied all the results into a spreadsheet just to see what was going on. And, Did you? Uh, <laughs> Do you think there was a way to crack it somehow? Yeah, it did, didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about more about Kelly's work later on. But uh, well, normally at this point, I'd say we would get to talk about the book that she's chosen to talk about. But it's not quite that simple. Thing is, I try not to be too prescriptive about the books chosen for this podcast. I think it's more interesting for guests to pick their own. But I do have a list in the back of my mind of books and indeed categories of books I'd really like to do. And one of those categories is books by writers of colour, because as you may have noticed, the list of books covered in this podcast is so far embarrassingly white. 
Uh, now, there are a number of good and bad reasons for that. We could spend quite some time discussing why. But the point is, I'm very keen to rectify it. And if, for example, someone came to me wishing to talk about something by, say, Percival Everett, I would probably bite their hand off. Anyway, that's a very long-winded way to introduce the fact that one day I happened to notice Callie on Twitter giving a review to Oink and Braithwaite's debut novel, My Sister the Serial Killer. And being a massive fan of the book myself, I pounced. Unfortunately, she agreed to come and talk about it. So here we are. So, Callie, would you like to give us a quick summary of the plot and tell us what it was that made you so enthusiastic about it? Yeah, absolutely. So my sister, the serial killer, is set in Nigeria. And it's about two sisters, largely, Corriday, who's the main character, and Iola, who is her murderous sister. And Corriday is a nurse at the local hospital. And she basically is the one that Iola calls on whenever she murders a man, because it is always a man. And so far, so crimey. But what this what, what set that sets this book apart from other serial killer books is the humour. I didn't expect it to be quite so funny. And obviously there was a there was a huge um, hype about the book uh, when it came out. And I think it won lots of awards. But I'm the sort of person that when a book is massively hyped, it almost puts me off it. And mm. so it wasn't until, gosh, at least a year after it, after it was published that I decided, you know, I'm going to I'm going to put this on my um, on my audible in my audible library and have a listen. And. I instantly fell in love with it. And when the book ended, I was so sad that I wasn't in that world anymore. Mm. Yeah, it, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? And, and it's it's so exuberant. And so it, it's like she, she's not bothered about what category she's working in or, or whose footsteps she's treading in. She just goes for it and, 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 just, and, and just writes this sort of mad, wild story, doesn't she? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I love about it, that in that it is so different and and it is almost like the author was sort of captured by an idea and mm. and wrote it, you know, because we're always we're always told in the industry, you know, write a book that fits into a, you know, a certain shelf um, yes. in the bookshop. And the market for sort of comedy crime is pretty small you know mm. I, I think I mean I can only really think of Mick Heron who mm. um who, who successfully does that yeah um so you know it was it was a risky move to write a book that is comedy crime but it couldn't have been better received I mean it was a massive success mm. yeah. but when I was sort of reviewing it to come on this podcast it actually kind of struck me that in some ways it's almost a romantic comedy as well because yes. Corriday has this huge crush on a doctor at the hospital called he's called Tarde and um Iola kind of gets her claws into him and you know in in your normal romantic comedy what gets in the way of the main character and her her love interest is you know some kind of twists of fate but in this case it's her her murderous serial killer sister. And I just thought that that was such a clever device. Um, and, I, and I feel as though Corriday is almost like a stooge in, you know, in, in the comedy and everybody yeah. else are the, is the funny characters, you know, because there's obviously there's Iola herself, 
sister who's who is very funny their mother is funny um there's Yinka another nurse who's at the hospital and it almost feels like Corriday is just sort of the only sane one the only sensible person surrounded by the madness of other people mm. yeah can I just read read a bit it's about the, the first uh time I think that uh, it's the first time when Ayolo hits on Tade because she comes to the hospital where um, Corriday is, is, is uh, working and uh, this is going to meet her for lunch. And Corriday hears that she's in the, in the building. So she, she says, uh, Yinka, where is my sister, I wheeze? Ayola, yes, the only sister I have. How would I know? I didn't even know you had one sister before. For all I know, you people are 10. Okay, fine. Where is she? She's in Dr. Otomu's office. I take the stairs two at a time. Tade's office is directly opposite the lift, so that every time I arrive on the second floor, I'm tempted to knock on his door. Ayula's laughter vibrates in the hallway. She has a big laugh, deep and unrestrained, the laughter of a person without a care in the world. On this occasion, I don't bother to knock. Oh, Koredi, hi. I'm sorry, I stole, I stole your sister. I understand you two have a lunch date. I take in the scene. He has chosen not to sit behind his desk, but instead is sitting in one of the two chairs in front. Ayula is perched on the other. Tade has angled his own seat so that it is facing her, and as though that were not enough, he leans forward, resting his elbows on his knees. The top Ayola has chosen to wear today is white and backless. Her leggings are a bright pink, and her dreadlocks are piled atop her head. They look heavy, too heavy for her to bear, but her frame is straight. In her hands is his phone, where she was undoubtedly in the process of saving her number. They look at me without a shadow of guilt. You can sort of sense... <laughs> How she's feeling about this, can't you? Yes. <laughs> yes. It sort of goes on from there, but then there's there's the other twist of of the um of, of the chap in the coma that she confesses to. Yes. And, and, I yeah. love that. Yeah. I really love that. It's such that. a neat device. It is. It yeah. is because I I think everybody, you know, everybody needs some kind of uh sidekick that they can confide in or you know you can get the thoughts of the main character but mm. not you know through a way that isn't just self-reflection and the fact yeah. that she she's talking to this coma victim it's always because nobody else in her life really listens to her you know mm. her her mother obviously has a massive soft spot for Iola and yes. um and, you know, the, the nurses that she, she works with are always, you know, she could never possibly confide in them because um, I think it's Yinka is a massive gossip. Um, mm. So to have this, this silent figure of, of the man in the coma and you mm. can't help but worry as you listen, as she <laughs> confides what's going on. Yeah. You're like, oh no, you know, <laughs> what if he can hear what she's saying? And and yeah. that gives a lovely tension to the book, I think, mm. as well, yes. as well as the comedy element. There's that feeling of, oh gosh, you know, be careful what you're saying, because yeah, um you right. could end up you could end up in prison alongside your mm. sister. Yeah. And I, the other thing I think I loved about it was was the the the, the the, the, the setting that it it's sort of set in in yeah in in Lagos and not sort yeah. of in in London or somewhere that you'd normally expect this sort of thing to be in. And, yeah, um, I love that. I think I think she portrayed Lagos 
and the people and the culture superbly well. I mean, I've never been, so I could only but, imagine. Yeah. But I felt like I was I was transported to Nigeria. And yeah. uh, the, the encounter that she has with uh, a member of the police um, yes. was was, you know, humorous in its own way. And, mm. you know, in the UK, I, I think it's very unlikely you'd be able to pay off a policeman. Um, mm. But obviously, as she's portrayed over there, it's quite a regular occurrence. And, um, you know, the, the police aren't only uh, a worrying force because because they could arrest you if you do something wrong, but um, but a, a pretty corrupt anyway. At least that's yeah, the way yeah. the author portrays it. Mm. I, I, that, that, that helps towards the plausibility of the plot as well, doesn't it? Because the sister might not get away with it. Yes. Uh, somewhere else. That's, that's the, I guess, part of the thing. Yeah, and, there, I, and I think it's also the feeling that... Um, that it's it's not, you know, will she commit any more murders? But when is she going to commit yes. any more murders? <laughs> <laughs> and that becomes the worry about Tade as well, doesn't it? Because because Karadi uh, yeah, begins to worry about what's going to happen to him. Yes. If he gets involved with her. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. certainly felt as as soon as Iola kind of um, made a move on him, I was like, oh mm. no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just wonderful, but the thing that you know sets Iola apart from other serial killers in other books is her sheer lightness of spirit. Yes. You know, she's yeah. so dismissive of of what she's done, and you yeah. know, of course, always it was self defense, and that oh, yeah. you know that almost becomes a joke in itself in the book. Mm. Um, and she's so. She's so deluded and you never really see sort of a slice of evil, which is which is quite disconcerting yeah. as a reader. Yes. Like, you know, how, how can she just kill all these people? And but it, but she's so charming and and she can put on this sort of defenseless woman sort of act that uh, that Corriday falls for every time or certainly at the beginning. And she's like, oh, I must help my sister. My sister was attacked by this terrible man and she had to kill him. And then you sort of gradually see this little insight into her personality. And um, it's, she's, so she's funny, but it's, she's fascinating too, I think. Yeah. I, I, I think it, it, it fascinates me that, that, that in some ways it, it's a mark of real sort of progress, that a sort of frivolous type of frivolous is the wrong word I'm not quite sure what the word is but a frivolous novel like this can could be written by someone of Nigerian heritage mm. that's all I'm trying to say mm. but it's sort of if you sort of set it side by side with with I don't know something like Half a Yellow Sun and Chimamanda right. Ngozi Adichie which is really a fantastic novel it's, it's really grim yeah and it's 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 quite something to have something really frivolous as well available. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it, it's a, it's a point that that, that Ian Cambrayfoot makes in in the the there's a little, little interview at the back of my my edition of the book mm-hmm. where she talks about uh, where is it? Braithwaite is unabashed that a novel makes no attempt to address a country's difficult past, 
I don't have that knowledge. I can't give you what I don't have, she says. The idea that writers can represent some universal Nigerian experience is a chimera, when a universal Nigerian experience simply doesn't exist, she explains. We have a wide divide between classes. We have a wide divide between cultures because we're from different tribes who have different religions. You don't have to walk very far to see someone who has a really different life from you. And she says another thing that yeah, Africans are hungry for different types of stories. Within our own community, people are hungry for something else, for something different. They want more crime. They want more fantasy. They want sci-fi or whatever. And I think, I think that, 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 that's wonderful that, that it's sort of broadening, broadening out so much. I, I don't want to sound patronizing like that when I'm saying that, but I, <laughs> do, do you know what yeah, I'm trying I mean, to say? I, yeah, I think I know what you're saying. And I've, I've, I've heard this um, before that, you know, obviously publishing is um, making an attempt to be more diverse. Yeah. And um, not only bring more, more people of colour onto the staff, but also um, as authors. And, you know, from, from discussions that I've seen on, on Twitter, people are, of, of colour are saying, we don't want to write about race, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we just want to write funny books or scary books or yeah. why, why do yeah. we have to write absolutely. about race? And, yeah. and that's absolutely true. Why should they have to write about race? Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think publishers need to be, not put people in boxes that these people write about this and these people write about this. And, you know, we, we can all write anything, you know, regardless of race. The idea mm. of writing a book is to is to shock or to entertain or to make people laugh or you know and and you know I, I don't think it should come as any huge surprise that that Oyenkin wrote this book because she's she's just she's an author you know yeah yeah that's right that's, yeah I, 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 I try to think she, she hasn't write, written a lot since has she that's she written a sort of one of those quick read things yeah um, but there's nothing else on the, I don't know if there's anything else on the way. I, I, so. I sometimes see that this happens with, um, with uh, authors who, who kind of have a big book. Um, yeah. I think the so pressure, pressure. Yeah. to, to have, have a follow-up that does as well and doesn't disappoint, A, the publisher in mm. terms of sales, and, and B, your readership, is, is very powerful. And, you know, publishers typically want the same but different. Um, which is really hard to do and pinpointing what it is I think sometimes as the author that resonated so well with people it can be really hard and also when yeah. you've written one type of thing you often see a debut swing to a, to a very different kind of book and that can be problematic for, for the marketing team and stuff but I'm <laughs> absolutely desperate to see to see what she writes next yes yes um, I am too yeah. I'm sure whatever it is, it will be absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I was quite excited to see that she was she studied law and creative writing at Surrey and Kingston. And I was just wondering at Kingston, she was taught by my uh, namesake Winston Pinnock. Oh. <laughs> you'd have you'd no, have to ask. No, no, her. no relation. <laughs> no relation. <laughs> you should but, get her on the show, but I don't think she's on social media. She's I did not tag no. her in something once and yeah. um, couldn't find her. Which is yeah. probably very sensible, actually. Probably very sensible, yes. Um, yeah, I know Gail Honeyman, who wrote Eleanor Oliphant. Oh, yeah. She's not, mm. she's not on social media either and never has been. No. Um, so it just goes to prove you don't need a social media presence to be a massive success. <laughs> 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 but 
We're doing it all wrong, yeah. spending all our yeah. time on Twitter. Yeah, that's right. Let's see if I find another, another bit to read. It's the wonderful aunt, isn't there, in, in, in the book? Yes. Yeah, the terrible aunt. It was hustling them about getting married. Yeah. With the negotiations over, with Auntie Taiwo leans back against the sofa and smiles at us. So are the two of you seeing anyone? Ayola is dating a doctor, Mum announces. Ah, oh, wonderful. You people are getting older and the competition is tight. Girls are not joking. Some of them are even taking men away from their wives. Auntie Tabo is one such woman, married to a former governor who was already married when she met him. She's a curious woman, visiting us whenever she flies over from Dubai, seemingly impervious to our dislike of her. She never had any children, and she has told us, fine with that number, that she considers us her surrogate daughters. We consider ourselves no such thing. Help me tell them, oh, it's like they just want to stay in this house forever. You know, men are very fickle. Give them what they want, and they will do anything for you. Keep your hair long and glossy, or invest in good weaves. Cook for him and send the food to his home and his office. Stroke his ego in front of his friends and treat them well for his sake. Kneel down for his parents and call them on important days. Do these things, and he'll put a ring on your finger fast, fast. My mother nods sagely. Very good advice. Of course, neither of us is listening. Iola has never needed help in the men department, and I know better than to take life directions from someone without a moral compass. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a very she's got a very spare writing style, hasn't she? It's very, it's very very restrained. Very there's there's not a word out of place. Yeah, I like that, and and it's it's quite heavy on dialogue, which I really mm. enjoy in a book. Yes, I I have got a terrible attention span when it comes to reading at the moment, um, sort of started in 2020, and I, I still struggle to concentrate, which is probably part of the reason why I listen to this on an audio book. Mm. But it just, it clips along at a pace. I mean, it's quite a yeah. short novel. Um, it is, yeah. Uh, but uh, but the, the, the way that it's structured with the, with the, she doesn't have chapters, she has sort of words as, as the headings mm. for each chapter. And that yep. reflects something in what she's going to write about in that chapter but it just it, it clips along and you know there's no long boring drawn out dialogue um, mm. i mean description yeah. um everything serves the purpose in the novel there's nothing yeah. extraneous or boring or drags yeah I, I just i just thought it was superbly structured and, yeah. and the dialogue is just so witty and yeah. and funny and mm. but she she paints each person very well, you know. I mm. I knew exactly who was who from just tone of voice, which I think yes. is um yeah. is quite a skill to be able to do that, mm. to be able to distinguish one character yeah. from the other just in terms of their dialogue. Yeah, it's just it's the simplest brush strokes, isn't it? That just sort of and, and the descriptions, it it, it, it they're, they're very pared back, but just enough for you to get an idea of what's going on. Yeah. What's going yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, no, it's magnificent, and I'm so, I'm so pleased that uh, that it was such a success. And, and um, yes, yeah, because it was uh, long listed for the Booker, short listed for the Women's Prize for Fiction, mm. and won. Hang on, it won the it won the British Book Award for Crime and Thriller Book of the Year. So yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as it should have, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the exciting thing is, you know, she's she's quite a young author. I sort of, well, I was introduced to her at 
we both had books in Richard, the Richard and Judy selection in 2019. Oh, nice. yeah. And um, she was in the she was in the same room as me um, when we were waiting to to go and meet them and and we got introduced but at that time I I knew nothing about the book really mm. and uh, she went off to sit on her own but now I wish that I had read the book in <laughs> advance because I would have yeah. massively fangirled her and yeah. uh, you know and, and asked her so many questions and given her so much praise but uh, yeah I, I can imagine though that it's quite overwhelming you know to to have a book do that extraordinarily well mm. when you're you know yeah. quite a new author I don't think she'd written anything before had she this is her debut she uh she had a short story in the Commonwealth Commonwealth short story prize uh, oh wow in 2016 so that's a, that's, that's a good accolade. She was 2014 shortlisted as a top 10 spoken word artist in the Echo Poetry Slam. Oh. So she's got a bit of bit of previous. Yeah. <laughs> but um, not a not a lot though. Not a lot. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. So so for for your essentially her debut to to become mm. quite as massive um, as it was must must have been overwhelming. I mean, lovely, obviously, but. Mm. Um, I, I do feel for authors who achieve tremendous success with their first book, because yeah. where do you go from there, really? Mm. Um, oh, I mean, I, I can say that because my first books came out with, <laughs> with a fizzle rather than a bang. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying, I'm, I've been trying to drag my way up the ladder ever since. Um, <laughs> and I, I think now after 13 books, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd quite like uh, that major success. I think I've done my time. <laughs> well, I mean, you've done, uh, you've done pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't complain. I can't complain. Yeah. That's probably a good segue into actually talking about uh, talking about your work. Uh, let's think. Did you always? I mean, did you always want to write write novels, or were you with the short stories a sort of um, yeah. stepping stone? I yes, I had always wanted to write a novel. You know from like a lot of authors, as a child, I, I decided that I wanted to write a novel because I loved reading mm. books so much. Mm. And um, I kind of I kind of tried when I was in my 20s and I was living in London. Um, I had a, an electronic typewriter and mm. I decided that I was going to write a book about a guy whose friend was in some kind of mental institute and the, the difference between what society says is mentally unwell and and what, you know, is just sort of personality or something. But really, I was massively out of my depth. I'd never been in, <laughs> in a mental institute. And I think I stumbled after about the first chapter. I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. So, um, and I think I was trying to be a bit literary as well. Um, and I think, I think a lot of authors start off with literary pretensions and then they kind <laughs> of find their feet in a genre or other. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, I, so, I, so I ditched that and I kind of thought, oh, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. And then sort of had a fallow period where I wrote nothing. And then I saw uh, Get Writing. The BBC was running a competition mm. where famous authors started a short story and they were inviting members of the public to finish oh, them. And right. it was a TV programme. Yeah. Mm. And so I, I finished the short story that was started by Joanne Harris, sent it in. First time I'd ever right. sent anything to a <laughs> competition, and um, and I I didn't I didn't win I didn't get shortlisted nothing happened, 
but I was bitten by the bug of mm. of short story competitions. So I started to to write them and um, submit them to um, online e-zines, to anthologies, to competitions, to women's magazines, mm-hmm. to the Sling Inc. competition. <laughs> um, you were, you were in, on Boot Camp as well, weren't you? I was. I was on. I was part of Alex I... Keegan's Boot Camp, which yeah. was a baptism by fire into the world right. of short well, I, 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 I joined that briefly for chil- the Children Need thing. Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah, that was quite a scary place. It was. And, and it made <laughs> me cry. Alex's, Alex's feedback made me cry more than once. He would often rip into my short stories, saying that they were very WOMAG, as in women's, women's magazines yeah, writing. <laughs> um, which, you know, yeah. basically, the, it's, it's another word for commercial. I wasn't yeah. writing in a literary style. I was writing in a commercial style. And yeah, and, and for a long time that um, knocked my confidence and made me think mm. that I couldn't write. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, I, I had a loss, a, a friend of mine died. Um, we were both 33. Uh, she had a brain aneurysm. So she died very, very suddenly and unexpectedly. And I thought, oh God, I need to get on with, um, with writing a novel um, because mm. this has been a lifelong am- ambition. And you know, none of us know how much time we've got. Um, yeah. And, and that was it. And then I was off writing like a woman possessed. Right. <laughs> yeah, because you you are remarkably... I'm, I'm looking at your Wikipedia page mm. and I'm looking at the psychological thrillers, The Accident 2014, The Lie 2015, The Missing 2016, The Escape 2017, The Fear 2018, Sleep 2019, Strangers 2020, Her Last Holiday 2021, The Guilty Couple 2022. And it's... <laughs> It's like clockwork. That's so professional. <laughs> yes, the life, the life of uh, an author required <laughs> to write a book a year. And mm. for two of those years, I wrote a young adult book. Oh, yeah, well. I, 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 I didn't mention that. There's, there's the, the, yeah. the treatment of 2007 the 2021. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's, I'm I mean, some kind of masochist, I think. I don't think I'll be writing <laughs> two books a year again. Um, mm. it's extraordinarily stressful. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got a 10-year-old son, I've got a dog who needs a walk and, and a partner who, mm. who needs to chat every now and then. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and, and I think if, if you're writing multiple books in a year, um, mm. it really has to be suited to somebody who lives alone <laughs> and yes. can get away with being that antisocial because uh, yeah. it's, it's hard work, really hard work. Mm. I mean, I, I, I read um, Her Last Holiday and uh, I, I, I absolutely loved it. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. I, particularly, I, I, I absolutely loved the last, the last chapter. Oh. That was a m- wonderful sting in the tail. <laughs> and I, I, w- I would love to talk about it more, but the, the problem is you, it's very difficult to talk about it without spoilers. Yeah. And yeah. Do, do you find this a, a problem when talking about your books? Yeah, it, it is the issue with writing um, psychological thrillers, I guess, in that so much of it is is in the reveals and the twists yeah. and the mysteries. Mm. So you can only really state up front what the mystery is. And um, essentially the mystery in Her Last Holiday is a missing sister. Um, mm. Jenna goes on a... Jenna finds out some 
upsetting news, can't deal with it, and goes on a wellness retreat in Gozo looking for answers. Um, but at the end of the retreat, uh, they all get involved in a sweat lodge experience where they crawl into this tent that's got hot coals and a very high temperature. Two people die um, as a result of that going wrong, and Jenna disappears. And the man in charge of this wellness retreat, Tom Wade, gets sent to prison for two years for gross negligence manslaughter. Then it, when he comes out, his wife, Kate, forces him to do a new retreat, and this time in Wales. And Fran, who is Jenna's older sister by 12 years, is bullied by their mother into joining this retreat to find out what happened to Jenna. So that's that's the basic premise of it really but the mm. the thing that I really enjoyed doing was crafting Fran as a character because mm. she's one of my more unusual characters in my books in that she's she's a bit antisocial she's quite tactless she's not really a people person and I mm. thought that um, it would be ideal to put somebody like that in a kind of warm huggy uh, wellness <laughs> yes. retreat where people yeah. have to open up and share yeah. and um, yeah, that's right. you know I think there are so, some people have told me that there are a few moments that even though it's a crime novel and it's quite dark there are a few moments that made them laugh because mm. because yeah. of Fran's yeah. tactless tactlessness you yeah. do almost laugh at some of the things that she comes out with because they're a bit you know inappropriate or shocking mm. yeah I would, are, are you a serious plotter? I, I imagine you must have to be to, to craft something like that. Do, do you yeah. sort of have loads of sticky pieces of paper and on a massive chart with strings sort of in between them? <laughs> yeah, it looks like a crime scene in my own study. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes, I am. I, I've got a massive whiteboard that basically lives next to my desk and mm. loads of different coloured index cards and magnets. And I use the four-act structure to plot. Um, so I try and get down the opening scene. I like to know what the opening scene is. And I like to have an idea of the ending. But that does change sometimes. And I, the sequence climaxes, I, I like to try and have an a index card there for those sort of eight major points across the book. But it does change, you know, just looking at the at the um, whiteboard now I can see a few things that as I started writing the book I tweaked and changed them including who the bad guy was <laughs> um, <laughs> right. but um but but it's it still works I think I mean I do when I write I write quite slowly I'm not one of these writers that can bash out 3,000 words a day um I you know it's it's a toil to to write a thousand for me but I stop mm. and think a lot so basically, when I finish my first draft, it's pretty much done. It just needs a little bit of, of polishing, maybe a little bit of cutting of repetition and um, draggy scenes. But I've done all the thinking in the writing. And so I don't have to write it out again, which is great because I like only having to do things once. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I'm, I'm a Panzer. I just sort of start writing and see what happens, and it, it's actually really stressful when you have to keep sort of thinking. I've got to go back 
I've, I've got to go back and fix this because suddenly some something's changed and and it kind yeah. of backfilled something and it, it's I, I really I think my next one I really I'm gonna I might even attempt sort of drawing it all out on uh, on whiteboards and stuff. Well, I would recommend the book Stealing Hollywood by Alexandra Stealing Sokolov. Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, she basically breaks down films across all different genres mm. um, into this four act structure, so you can you kind of get a good idea. And she's uh, the book is written for novelists, so it's basically how right. to steal film structure in oh, order see, to, yeah. to write mm. a novel. Mm. And I find that very useful. Yeah, maybe I should do that. Yeah, although you know, if, the stress. <laughs> if, if, if pantsing works for you, it works for you. You know, I know. I know authors who write six drafts, you know, they'll mm. write the first one in maybe like six weeks or something, super fast, bang it out, 50,000 words, something. Then they'll mm. write another one where they concentrate on structure. Then they'll write another one where they concentrate on character. Then they'll write another one where they put in the foreshadowing and the, you know, the red mm. herrings and strengthening the red herrings, whatever, which, which works for them. And I think, you know, if, if there's aspiring authors listening, don't feel that there is a way you know Lisa Jewell often starts is is a pantser she mm. has a sort of vague idea of a story maybe a bit of a beginning or may, maybe a rough feeling for the ending and the rest she just she just writes as she goes and she's hugely successful so yeah. I don't think anybody can say oh the key to becoming successful is is to plot or to pants mm. to do whatever works for you I mean I'd yeah, love to know how right how um, Oyinkan wrote her book, actually, whether yes. that just kind of came out of her or if she did if she did plot or pants it at all. I, I can imagine it just coming out in one massive splurge. And just sort of, yeah. It, yeah, but, it, um, it feels like that. It it's just got that feels energy. like it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the energy of, I've got a story, I've yeah. been thinking about it for a while. Yeah. Boom, just written. Yeah. Sort of boiling up and then suddenly just getting it all down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She'd so, probably come on here and say, oh, no, it was a terrible oh, process. No, it was all... <laughs> yes. But it, it, it's, it's just fascinating that there's this sort of process thing, because I, I remember when I was on, I, I, I did an MA in creative writing a few years back, mm -hmm. and Celia Brayfield was my tutor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was writing, and I, I was sort of doing this sort of very pantsing type sort of uh, novel. And... Mm -hmm. I was sort of expecting her to say, right, now this is the point at which you stop and go back and plot everything. And I said, and she didn't. And I said to her, why aren't you telling me to do this? And she said, well, if it works, if it works for you that way, stick with it. I said, oh, fine, I've, I've been given permission to do that. And I thought I was being yeah. really unprofessional. Oh, but, no, uh, that's, yeah. that's awful that you felt like that. Mm. Yeah. Going back a bit, what made you shift from romantic comedy to psychological thriller? Was, was it... Was it a conscious decision that you suddenly said, I'm going to try that? Or did your agent come to you and say, you know, well, you should really try this? Or, well, how does it work? No, basically, I was dropped by my romantic comedy publisher. Right, um, okay. She, I'd, so I'd had two books published. Um, mm. And uh, my agent said to me, can you put together a sort of synopsis and some sample chapters for a third? So we can talk to your editor about another two book deal. And I did that and I delivered it and I heard the news back from my agent that my ed editor had said, oh, I don't want any more romantic comedies. I'd like a, a Richard and Judy book club pick or oh. a book along the lines of a Jojo Moyes. And right. I was just 
shocked. I was a bit like, yes. well, how, how do you write a Richard and Judy pick? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, they go across loads of genres and whoa, that's, you know, that's massive. And, and also mm. only Jojo Moyes can write a Jojo Moyes. Mm. So I, I kind of resigned myself. I thought, well, then that's it. You know, my dream came true. I had two books published. I saw them mm. on the bookshelves and, um, you know, I think that might be it for me. In the same year, that editor let three other romantic comedy authors go as well. So she was obviously having a bit of a cull, um, or okay. maybe... So, the, so it wasn't just you, then? <laughs> it wasn't. That made me that, feel that, a bit better. That made you feel, yeah, to, I can imagine that, yeah. I'll have to admit, I was a bit like, it's not just me. But, but yeah, and I had... I was on maternity leave um, when I got dropped, and I was... I was trying to come up with an idea. The I was part of the Romantic Novelists Association and they had a competition running for the first chapter of a novel or a sort of potential novel on the theme of keeping a secret. And so I kind of thought, well, I'm going to write something romantic on the theme of keeping a secret. And I had this idea um, when I was in the in, in the queue at the supermarket, like a, a voice for a character. Their voice came into my head telling me the first few lines. And it was about a woman at her daughter's bedside and her daughter was in a hospital in a coma because she deliberately stepped in front of a bus. Mm. And as I was writing this, when I got home, I suddenly realised that the mother had the daughter's diary in her hands. And in the diary, it said, um, keeping this secret is killing me. And then I just thought, oh, this is, this is quite exciting. And then, <laughs> and then the husband... And then the husband comes in and the mum's looking at him suspiciously. Has he got anything to do with, with the secret? Anyway, I kind of ended the first chapter on a bit of a cliffhanger, not knowing what happened next, no idea. Sent it off to the competition and it won. And mm. the, the chairwoman said to me, oh, you, you must finish this. Um, I, think, I think romantic suspense is going to be huge. And actually, it didn't turn out to be romantic suspense. There was nothing romantic about the <laughs> at all. But it did become a, a psychological thriller as, as I finished writing it and then sent it mm. to my agent. And uh, she said, oh, this, you know, I think this is the best thing you've written. Mm. And um, yeah, then she, she got me a deal with Avon HarperCollins. And uh, that's been the last, what, eight, nine years of my life. Wow. <laughs> so it, it worked out well because I'm a much mm. more successful psychological thriller author yes. than I ever was a romantic comedy author. Yeah. Although, th th I mean, you, you had, you, 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 your second romantic comedy was filmed, wasn't it? So I, mm. I'm, I'm astounded that you got dropped out even after that. Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess you was, can't tell how things are going to go, can you? It was an, um, an independent um, uh, production company. Mm. So it didn't have sort of, you know, worldwide release. It didn't even yeah, have, sure. You know, national release. It had a, a few little select cinemas and it happened after I'd been dropped, I think. So, right, uh, OK. But, but, you know, that was that was an amazing experience mm. to actually go and see it filmed and see actors yeah, bringing your characters yeah. to life and speaking your lines. Yeah. So what's uh, what next? What's your ultimate ambition? <laughs> oh gosh um, where do you see yourself I, in five years time <laughs> I, I would like to write a book so successful that I don't have to write a book a year <laughs> that, is, mm. that would be very nice I'd, I'd like to take a couple of years um, uh, and uh, yeah no my ultimate ambition well I'd, I'd love that 
big Netflix deal or that A-list film adaptation. Uh, that would be really nice. I haven't cracked America. I'd like to crack America. Um, mm. In fact, there's quite a few territories I haven't cracked that I'd like to crack. <laughs> yeah, I think basically the thing that pushes me on from one book to the next is to write a better book because mm. with, you know, it's true that with every book I, you write, any author writes, you learn. And there's mistakes that I made in my first book so that I won't make mistakes again. And as I become more and more experienced, I can trust my gut instinct with a book, I think. And um, and listening to that is important. But I just, yeah, I just want to write a book where I go, I cannot see the flaws in this book. And I think that's actually impossible, which is why I will just keep writing and keep writing and keep writing, chasing this impossible dream of the perfect book. Mm. Do you ever see yourself changing... Uh changing genre again <laughs> well yeah, yeah i've done romantic fiction. comedies i've done young adult thrillers i've done psychological thrillers i do love a good dystopian novel um mm. and uh and i'd like to you know i could see myself writing some kind of space opera um you know mm. so it's not oh yeah so it's not uh it's not the sort of hardcore stuff about the logistics of space and spaceships but it's more about just sticking a bunch of people on a spaceship or, or sticking them on a planet or so it's it's the same sort of thing people but yeah. in a different kind of world with conflict and stuff and I've always wanted to write a tragic love story because as in my 20s that was my favorite genre you know the English patient the end of the affair that sort of thing but I haven't got a single idea for any of these things so um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep writing psychological thrillers for now yeah. while I'm still enjoying doing it and having ideas. Yeah. Uh, when you get when you get that Netflix deal, would you be interested in in scripting any of it, or is that, or would you just leave it to? Uh, well, I mean, I'd love, that? I'd love to learn. I mean, the only the only screenwriting experience that I've had is um, when I lived in Brighton. I did a short film screenwriting course, so mm. I learned quite a lot there. Um, but it was only for a, for a ten minute film, and obviously writing something much bigger is is a different kind of skill but I'd like to learn I mean I'd like to co-write I'd like to sort of be led by somebody who would kind of mentor me but I don't think it works like that in Netflix world I think um, <laughs> no, I think you not. no I think I think your book gets optioned by somebody and then it gets whipped off to an expert which is probably the best way of doing things mm. um, sleep was optioned not by Netflix but a but another, uh, uh, Bill Kenwright, and mm. um, they gave it to somebody to draw up a pilot for the first episode. But that's as far as it's got with that. So who knows? Yeah, because the whole getting things on 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 the likes of Netflix, it, it's a even longer process than uh, getting a book published, isn't it? Yeah, publishing <laughs> slow enough, and yeah. film and TV is even slower. <laughs> So yeah, um, yeah, right. um, it's always lovely to get a book optioned because that mm. gives you that little kernel of hope. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I think it's something like, you know, 90%, 95% just never get made. So um, it's a case of take the money and run. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, thank you very much for coming on and, and talking about um, My Sister the Serial Killer and uh, all that.
thank you for inviting me it's been fun yeah that's been great yeah this place is intended to be free of ad adverts as if anyone would pay to advertise here anyway but if you've enjoyed this episode please free to reward us by buying our books Callie is on Twitter as Callie Taylor. I'm on Twitter as John Pinnock, and my website is at johnfompin.com. This podcast now has its own Twitter account as litbutpod, and DMs are open. Or email me on litbutpod at gmail.com. And do please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people find out about all the fascinating stuff here. You'll find this podcast in all the usual places. Next time, I'll be talking to the novelist Beth Miller about Sue Townsend's classic, The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, age 13 and three quarters. See you then. Right, well, I think that's it. Well, let's see if it's recorded. <laughs> let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs>